0: Back
1: to throw, Fitzpatrick, Throwing high into the air, Parker, touchdown! What a win for this Miami Dolphin team, wow!
2: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday, I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show we are going to flash things back to 2004 with former Miami Dolphins tight end Randy McMichael we'll recap the San Francisco 49ers Miami Dolphins game as well as that 2004 season a lot of change and turmoil that year we'll get to the bottom of some of that here with Randy McMichael plus we'll get John Congemi's three keys in the game on Sunday get the last injury report for you guys and also here from Seth and Juice from the Fish Tank Podcast. All of that and more on this Friday, October the 9th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins! And support for Drive Time comes from Auto Nation. There are so many reasons to drive pink, but for Auto Nation, there's only one to finish the fight against cancer. In fact, AutoNation has helped raise over $25 million to drive out cancer. To join the fight, visit the AutoNation store near you or drivepink.com. And before we get into the flashback with Randy McMichael and Seth and Juice from the Fish Tank Podcast, let's go ahead and stop by on Friday as we do every week here on the Friday Drive Time Podcast with John Congemi's three keys to the San Francisco game Sunday 4.05 Eastern in San Francisco. And up first... Contain Kittle, man. We talked about this on the preview podcast, 15 targets, 15 catches last week. And he talks about, John does, about the multitude of talent and skill players this offense has. But it starts with George Kittle, the talented, athletic tight end who blocks, who contributes in the passing game. He also mentions Eric Rowe getting the toughest assignment of any Miami defender in this game. Good matchup to watch there with Eric Rowe and George Kittle. Number two, battling through injuries along the offensive line and how there have been great improvements so far along the offensive line, but this week heading into the game... We know Austin Jackson left the game last week. We had Julian Davenport step into the game and Robert Hunt plays some of that extra heavy tight end position as well. So it could be interesting to see how the Dolphins shift the offensive line if they are down one of the regular starters on Sunday. And number three, limit the explosive plays. He says this is one area the Dolphins offense could use a little more and the defense a little bit less. Defensive side just holding down the big gains from last week. 57, 37, 35, 23, 21 yards. That'll be a big key to this game with George Kittle Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jarek McKinnon. He list on the list of players here for the 49ers. And then offensively as well, generate some explosive plays. Longest play of the year for the Dolphins so far, 27 yards. So you can find John's keys up on MiamiDolphins.com as well as my written preview, taking a look at some matchups and some of the, the 49ers personnel and how they present challenges to this Dolphins defense and offense. All right, the injury report for Friday. Game statuses are now available. Let's go ahead and get to the Miami Dolphins first. Austin Jackson was added to the injured reserve list on Friday, and the Dolphins called up running back Salvin Ahmed. The former Washington Husky is now on the Dolphins' active roster. As for the game statuses, two players will miss the game. Defensive end Shaq Lawson and tight end Durham Smythe will not play, and wide receiver Jakeem Grant is questionable with an illness So that means Byron Jones back in the lineup for Sunday on game day, getting the Dolphins cornerback back. And for the 49ers report, go ahead and check out the top news article up on MiamiDolphins.com. That will update this afternoon, and we'll have the latest on the 49ers report for injuries on Sunday's game. And joining the Drive Time podcast now is a five-year member of the Miami Dolphins tight end out of Georgia. He's wearing the Bulldogs t-shirt right now as we speak. Randy McMichael. Randy, how you doing, man?
3: Hey, what's going on, man? I appreciate you having me on. Uh, always excited to talk about my, my fun times in Miami, other than all the damn losing. It was cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the other day I was talking to, uh, we, we have an intern up in the PR department. She she went to Georgia and she was talking to one of the players or a coach or someone that was up there that had gone to Florida and they were getting into a bit of a, a disagreement, let's say, about the Florida-Georgia rivalry. So I'm sure you right, you've been pretty right. well involved in that one, haven't you? Oh, yeah,
3: no doubt about it. My first time ever going to uh, a Georgia-Florida game was me and Channing Crowder, and we left from Fort Lauderdale, and literally I was the only p- person on the plane with a Georgia shirt on. <laughs> Everybody who had their Florida gear on, me and Channing went. And of course, they beat us, but it was one of the funnest uh, experiences that I've had. I've been twice since then, and both times Georgia has won. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's always fun. Uh, my producer here—I I have my uh, midday shows here with uh, Andy and Randy in, uh, in Atlanta, and our producer. She's a big Florida fan, so me and her go back and forth, and, and we've won the last three. So it really isn't been any really trash talking coming from her part.
2: Well, I was gonna say we finally got college football back on television these days. That, that game's coming up pretty soon, isn't it?
3: October. It's, it's, it's usually around things uh, Halloween, so okay. Halloween. Weekend we got Tennessee this weekend.
2: Okay, yeah, that's one of the games that always like tells me, okay, college football is back in the full swing of things. Like you know, I, I rivalries you can't beat them, man. It's been it's been a challenging year this year with college football, but it's good to see the SEC back on TV finally. Um, right. One thing I always ask our you know our, our flashback subjects here, our flashback guests, is what all are you up to these days. You mentioned your radio show, but just in general, what's Randy McMichael up to in
3: 2020? Uh, oh well, I mean you know I'm uh, I have my own I'm a, uh, our, one of the sports stations up here in Atlanta, 1990 Game. I'm one of the midday show hosts. Me and Andy Bunker. So we do ten to two every single day. Uh, we just finished up our one year anniversary a couple a couple months ago. So it's been fun, going good. Ratings are really good. It's just you know it's different because you know uh, you, you, you get the you got to have more of a fans perspective of things than I usually would have <laughs> had as a player. You as a player you really didn't care, but now as you know an analyst for these things you got to have be sympathetic to the fans ear because you know they are the ones that listen to you.
2: I was going to ask because, you know, it's I always love seeing players make that jump from player to media because. Even, hey, 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 I'm not a media guy.
3: OK, I'm a radio guy. All
2: right.
3: <laughs> okay. OK. All right. Let's keep asking. I'm a, I'm a radio guy.
2: <laughs> is, that, is that what Shane <laughs> calls himself, too?
3: Yes. 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 We refuse to fall into that category. So, yes, I'm a radio guy.
2: Well, yeah, I love hearing Channing. Every, every time you open the press box before the games, they have the, the, the pregame show playing on the speakers. I love hearing him on those, you know, every single Sunday. So you're in good company there. You and Channing, that that rivalry runs deep. But getting a little bit off the rails here, I did want to ask you, though, you know, going from player to radio guy, as you so, so it, Randy. <laughs> uh, have, you, have you, like, earned any new level of maybe, like, respect for the job that people in the media have to do or, like, maybe change your perspective a little bit on that?
3: Well, yeah, of course you do, man. I mean, it's a hard job. I mean, I would never try to downplay it as a point of, you know, y'all guys have a hard job because I know being a former athlete, especially when things aren't going well, the yeah. last thing you want to do is talk to people. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I get that part about it and everything. And, and trying to be as, you know, a guy who asks the question to those players, trying to be as sensitive but not as, you know, soft. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's the one thing that's going on up here right now with the Falcons losing is that, you know, people get on, well, y'all work for the flagship, so you got to ask these softball questions, which you really don't, but you can't ask a question like the fan would want to ask it. You know, so you got to be able find a way to round it, you know, be professional, but also keep it as real as possible. Because the one thing I know about being in athletics for so long is that we know, we oh, watch the tape, we know we're struggling. I know I play bad, you know, and so that's one of those things that was probably one of the hardest things is, is trying to, you know, Answer the question, ask the question as a fan, but also knowing that I know you don't want to ask, answer that question. So, yeah, that's about it. Yeah,
2: Other than yeah, that, yeah. it's
3: cool.
2: <laughs> I'll get some questions sometimes on Twitter, like, hey, Travis, do you think the Dolphins should make this switch? And I'm like, hey, that's that's way above my pay grade. So that's, that's all, the- <laughs>
3: oh, my God, all day. Why won't that? They- I, I don't know. I don't work up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm just I'm reporting the facts to you, sir. That's my job. Right exactly, here. exactly. Well, Randy, off the top, you mentioned some losing seasons there in Miami, but it wasn't all bad right away. You guys were, were pretty good early on in your tenure. But things kind of took a turn when a certain running back called it a career, at least the first time. And I, I right. just I love asking players the perspective on this because this was I was 16 years old when 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 Ricky hung him up the first time. I was I read it in the newspaper tells you kind of how long ago that was. Um, yeah. I, I was very very heartbroken by it. I had two Ricky Williams jerseys, I had your jersey, right. I had Chris Chambers jerseys, but he was right. kind of my guy. I'm gonna be honest with you. What was that like? Did you guys was that a total surprise to you? And what was it like when you kind of came to terms with? Shit, our our top guy back there—he's—he's he's gone now.
3: I wasn't surprised because I know Ricky and got the time to spend, got a lot of time to spend around Ricky, you know. But my thing was this—I never forget the night we found out. Me and Chris Chambers—we were actually having dinner. They we were out of dinner down on the beach, and we were leaving. And one of our partners—that was a teammate—Dugger—he uh, hit me and was, he's like, "What's up?" I was like, "What's up?" And he said, "Man, just heard that Ricky retired," and I'm like, "Oh, that's exactly what I said." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and I left it at that. Then you know, and then I talk, I was talking to Chris. I was like, "They just told me Ricky retired." Chris is like, "Where?" And so that's what it was. And then we just went on and continued partying and everything. Didn't pay too much attention. You know, people that were at the spot we were at were coming up to us and like, "Hey, man, what's going on with Ricky?" And we went, okay. And so when we first we finally got back together as a team, you know, it was it was uh, surprising because he was our best player. But you know, we had faith in Travis Miner. And and then you know and then you hated what happened to T Minor because as soon as he gets his opportunity he gets a high ankle sprain and he's not the same all season so but we I mean I was surprised but it was like that's just Ricky man right? you know I'm, I mean it's just Ricky.
2: And then they trade for Lamar Gordon, too. So there's yeah. a, the, the running back combo there with he and Travis Minor. And, you know, you mentioned it, too. I always remember Travis Minor always had such high yards per carry averages because he would rip off those big runs on like third right. long and stuff in that third down situation. So I was excited to see him get a chance. One guy, Randy, I was less excited about even as a young kind of die hard, just blind, you know, unconditional love fan to the team was AJ Feely.
3: A, I knew you were going to say that AJ Feely. AJ
2: Feely, yeah, nothing. Not yeah, team, sorry about that. And he, you know, he comes in in the trade, and, and you know, you got Jay Feedler there, a guy that's won a lot of games for you guys, and you played with for a long time. How did you guys like perceive that quarterback competition? That trade was it like this is still Jay's team, and AJ has to come take it over, or right. like was there some competition there between the the locker room to figure out who was on whose side? Like, what was that whole situation like for you guys? We
3: we were Jay Feeler's guy, yeah. You know, we, we were Jay Felix, guys. He had us over for dinner all the time. We were always about dinner, everything. And he threw me the ball. So that's why I loved him. But <laughs> no, Jay's Jay's one of my good friends that we still talk uh, every now and then. And, you know, it was different because we understood why they were bringing AJ in. And then you don't give up that kind of pick for a guy to be a backup. And then we heard, you know, it was before he got down there, you heard he's real California kid, California cool, all that, which he was. But he's a fiery competitor. And, he, and and I thought, you know, me and him, our relationship, it grew as the season went along because, I mean, I was a Jay Fiedler guy. I was. Me and Chris, we were Fiedler's guy. And so AJ had to come in and make that adjustment. And, you know, some days it was good. Some days it wasn't good, you know. And, you know, the 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 uh, the San Francisco trip that we're going to talk about, like you remember that whole week we were out and we were in San Francisco because we played Seattle and we played uh, San Francisco the same weekend. So we went to Seattle played Seattle and lost and then we went down uh, to, uh, to San Fran. And I think that week right there in San Fran allowed a lot of us to just get to know him and sit around and, and hang out with AJ is a cool cat. He just, just California cool man
2: and that was actually my segue into the next question here was because you know I'm, I'm from the Pacific Northwest Randy as everybody on this podcast is probably sick of hearing <laughs> about by now but I come from the Seattle area and so when you guys would come out every eight years you know that cro- that cross conference <laughs> trip and I got to see my team once every eight years I y- you guys came out that year in 2004 and I saw that game and you had a chance to drive down late but J- AJ had a, a glute injury do you remember that you you have to right
3: Okay. All right. So this is what happened. So,
2: okay.
3: so, so AJ gets hit and has his bruise on like his right cheek or whatever. Right. And so he's hurting. And it was so funny because he was, he was getting hit the whole game. And so like AJ comes in, he, first of all, he changes the rearrangement of the huddle. He's like, I don't like this huddle this way. So you go, so we're like, bro, we're trying to win this game. And so AJ, and so AJ has a bruised butt. And so we score some good happens and he's walking on the field and I'll never forget David Bowens comes and smacks him right on it, yeah. right on the bruise. And I just remember AJ hitting the ground like somebody shot him. And we're all standing here like, "Man, get the hell up, man! It didn't <laughs> work that bad." But then when we saw the bruise in the locker room, oh, it was pretty bad. But the funniest thing was how he hit him and how he hit that ground. And you know, oh, it was it was, it was one of the funniest things I ever seen because it was just it was just AJ. We always thought he was a drama king, but that was a big bruise he had.
2: Yeah, they, they ran that highlight on sports Center for not yeah. just that day, but for the rest of the week, him kind of reacting oh, yeah. to, the, to the backside slap, a very common occurrence in all sports. But yes. you had mentioned the West Coast trip out, and I, I was going to ask you, I thought you guys would stay out for the whole, you know, the two weeks playing the Seahawks and the 49ers there. But before the trip had occurred, Dave Wanstead resigned. Right. Did he just not want to go out to the West Coast? <laughs>
3: oh, no, I don't know, man. Dave took the easy way out, man. And I'm always appreciative of Dave, him and his lovely wife. She's awesome. You know, they would always give you give the, whenever you have children. They would give the kids, you know, the uh, you know, like little bonds thing. And my son, my oldest son Isaiah, was born the week before we left to Seattle. So you know, they and they were so nice and everything. And I just think Dave just didn't want to go for that hard ride because he was going to get fired regardless. And it was a hard ride, man. It really was. And you know, the 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 way that we rallied because we love Coach Bates. Everybody, offense, defense, we just love Coach Bates. And he brought a different. Demeanor, old school. Like if you make a mistake in practice, you got to run. And I, you know, I jumped outside of the practice like to the fence. And I'm sitting there like, what? And so, but he made everybody run to the fence. If you messed up, everybody, no matter who you was, it was me. It was Zach, JT. Didn't matter. You ran to the fence. But yeah, it was uh, you know, that caught me off guard because I was still a young player in the league and didn't understand it. Like my my college coach got fired, but that was a shock too when they fired Coach Donnie. But it wasn't this. Just for you to resign like that in the middle of the season, we were all wondering, like, and still to this day, if you talk about it, he just quit on us. Because, I mean, hell, you had a part in this, too. (laughs) You know, you had a part. All all y'all had a part in this, too, of of us struggling the way we did. And, uh, you know, that that, that hit us hard. But I think if anybody other than Coach Bates would have got the job, then, you know, it would have been something different. But Because it was him, we were cool.
2: Yeah, and Jim Bates certainly helped you guys deliver the, you know, one of the big wins of that era of Dolphins football on that Monday night game against the Patriots. Yeah, but we'll, man. we'll get into that here in just one second. Let's go back to the game we have you on here for. Great, great reminiscing for sure, Randy. But I do want to ask about that game against the 49ers because the Dolphins do travel to San Francisco this Sunday to take on the 49ers, you know, 16 years after the fact. I, I mean, I can't believe it's been that long. I'm sure Damn. you can't either. It's a <laughs> long time yeah. ago. But,
3: no grays, I'm a beer. you're looking sharp, man. You're looking young. You still, you still able to play.
2: Suit him up and, and go out there and play a couple quarters or what?
3: No, I'm good. I'm an old bro, man. I still roll out of bed. <laughs> I,
2: I saw a comment from from Chris uh, from Chambers that said that when Flo saw him last, he was like, "Can you still play?" Like dead serious. Like he's, he's always just trying to turn over rocks.
3: <laughs> no, yeah, just, no, I'm good. Gusecki's fine. As- So you
2: guys, you guys are one and eight coming into this two game West Coast swing and you drop the game in Seattle. You come down to San Francisco. You mentioned it. That was a good nugget there about kind of that time to bond. Is that what that week is all about? Is like you obviously you have the same schedule, but how much different is it for a team to be out on, you know, away from home and kind of in a, a makeshift practice facility for an entire week?
3: It was different, especially coming off that Seattle loss. You know, it was a heartbreaking loss. AJ throws a pick six. Where I mean, it was a slant. It was a slant flat combination to me and Chris's side. He's like, "Drop it to Randy." Unless, well, he didn't want to drop it to Randy. He wanted to throw the slant to Chris. Cool, where it <laughs> picks it off. Pick six. We lose the game. And so it was. Uh, it was different because a lot of our families went out there, and we were just in this hotel downtown San Francisco, going to practice back and forth. And we knew that we had to find a way to get get we, just something good happen. You know, because it was a long year, man. It was. And I tell people all the time, man, you know, it's easy to, as a fan, to dump on us and players. But I bet you right now you don't feel no worse than we do. You know, and it was a hard trip. And for us to be out there in San Fran, ain't none for us from out there. It's Thanksgiving week, so we ain't, we're not with our families for Thanksgiving. And it was just a bonding moment where we were like, hey, man, it's either now or never. All right, let's not go stay out here for two damn weeks. And not win a football right. game, man. So you know, we we went together, and you know that was my. I think that was our first trip. That was my first trip to San Francisco to play the. Uh, yeah, yeah was it was. Think because we went. I mean, we did so many different things. We went to Alcatraz, and we were playing. If you ever been to Alcatraz, you know they have that little baseball diamond field. So we got there pretend we were playing baseball <laughs> in Alcatraz. Uh, you know, down there at the Fisherman's Dwarf, all that stuff, doing things as a team, and I think it helped us out on that Sunday.
2: Where would you be on a baseball diamond if that was the, the career path you chose? Oh, I'm
3: a third baser, man. I play that hot corner, man. Okay, yeah, easy. yeah. I play, I play the hot corner, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I did. That's what I did.
2: These days, you don't <laughs> gotta worry about bunts anymore. You can just sit back there and pick pick those one hops off the off the bat there. Because the players. Oh, no doubt anymore.
3: about it, man. No <laughs> doubt about it. Like I'm watching my Braves right now play the Marlins. You know.
2: Yeah, Mark, hey man, hey, hey man. they're down four three. I'm looking at it myself right now, so yeah. man, gotta make a comeback push here. But
3: <laughs> yeah, good stuff, yeah.
2: man. Um, so because you, you get in that game, you talk about the bonding experience and, and the the desire to get a win, which is such an interesting you know dynamic. And I'm not going to say that any player has ever thought this, but when the when a team gets to one and eight, fans start thinking about where can our draft pick be, right? Like that's that's commonplace right. for a fan. Yeah. But you guys still have it in the back of your mind, like. Forget that. We want to go out and win a football game. And you start hot. It goes with a 25-yard touchdown pass from Feely to Chambers. And when you're on a team that has struggled that much, does getting that first score, like getting that first lead, does that kind of change the the mindset of the team?
3: It just helped. It did, man. It, it, it's always easier to no, – no, I don't want to say that. It's not easier playing with the league. But it was fun to, to for something good to happen to us. And I think that was one of the biggest things. And another funny A.J. Feely story. A.J., okay, so on that pass to Chris – A.J. dislocates his finger on his, his uh, right index finger, right? And literally, again, he's hobbling and about to fall out past. I was like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong now? <laughs> and, so right up. and so I run over there. And I'm looking at him like, what, what? He points his shoulder to his finger. I said, like, that's it? I'm like, come on, man. And so they pop it back Take and we go up. back in and, and, and continue to fight. And I think, you know, if you look at that game, it was just a, it was a complete team effort. Defense played lights out. Uh, Had some good plays on special teams. Offense, we came and showed up. And that's how we were able to get that football game.
2: And Randy, a lot of times in this podcast, I love getting into the weeds, the X's and O's and stuff. I had (laughs) Nat Moore on one of the first Drive Time flashback podcasts we did. And he was breaking down touchdowns that he scored in the 1985 Uh Monday night win over the Bears. And so the Uh the Niners come back and put the next 10 points on the board. And then we come back and take a lead with a 15-yard touchdown pass from yourself. Do you recall that play?
3: Oh, yeah. It was uh, trips left. Love so it. we had once we had one receiver backside. We had trips to the to the left side. I was the inside receiver closest to the tackle. And then in three by one, Chris would uh whoever it was the X was I think what was it Darius then? Might have been Darius. So whatever he runs a takeoff, outside release. The inside guy who's inside slide, he runs up the field, outside Z runs up the field. I run a middle read uh seam route. So basically I'm just going across the formation. And as soon as I go across the formation, I don't even see the ball leave AJ's hand. I just look and there's the ball. And I just put my hands up and it. it stuck to it. And we had me and him. That was one thing me and AJ had. We had chemistry on that route. And I always knew if, if he was going to hit it, it was going to come as soon as I got past that linebacker. And as soon as I got past the linebacker, it was, it got right there out that fast and touchdown. How,
2: how long would you say that chemistry takes to develop? I mean, in your, in your, you know, experience from that particular moment, but in general, does that chemistry, like, that's a big training camp trope a lot of times, like, oh, they have to get this right. chemistry developed. How long does it truly take for a quarterback and a pass catcher to develop chemistry?
3: You know what? I don't even know because I, I never had a pro I take that back because I know, like, my first year in St. Louis, me and Mark Bulger could never get on the same page, <laughs> you know, and it was to a point where, you know, like, Bulger, I'm open. And he wasn't used to throwing the tight ends either. So that, I mean, we. but I think one thing about the, the chemistry of a quarterback, you know, pass catcher, it starts with your friendship. Pretty much. And me and Mark didn't know each other. And I got to, you know, and I had to, you know, sit down with him at lunch and do all those things. And it it eventually worked with with AJ. It was different because, you know, they were putting him in with the first team when he got there. So we got a chance to get familiar with him and how the ball was going to come out. And one thing about him, dude can spin it. He can he can spin the ball. But, you know, we were still Jay's team. We were still, you know, this is our Jay's our guy, man. You Know we, we ain't going away from Jay, Jay's our dude, but at the same time, we knew why they brought AJ Feely in to be the starting quarterback. And so, you know, we would stay at to practice sometimes, catch, and you know, he would like Randy if, if, if this goes on, I want you to be here, here, and that's how it worked like that after a while. But, um, yeah, we were all we were always we liked AJ a lot, but we were always Jay Feelers, we were always,
2: yeah. And you mentioned the 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 Rams, was that Mike March? Were you there with Mike March? No,
3: that was that was Linehan.
2: Okay, I was, was going to say because yeah, Mike Martz never ran. He always ran that twenty personnel package, so you wouldn't be on all the field day. for those ones. But
3: well, that's like, what Bolger grew up in. Yeah,
2: exactly. So that, that's, that, what, that's, that's why he learned grew. not to go to you. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's what Bolger <laughs> grew up in. So yeah,
3: but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was the biggest thing with uh, with all of us pass catchers, skill position players. With AJ, was the you know because he wasn't a I'm a hey, guys, come on let's go out to dinner, let's go have a beer, something like that. It was more always us, hey, man, come on, let's go over here, let's grab a, a quick drink real quick, let's go out to dinner, on the road and do things. He was that, I mean, because he, was, he wasn't he was a rah-rah guy. You know, he's chilled, and we had to kind of bring him along.
2: Well, I mean, it worked out there for, those, for that particular game and a couple more wins later in the season, and you guys do finish it off with a Derek Pope scoop and score from one yard away to give you a 14-point lead. Is that kind of when you relax in that game?
3: Yeah. No, no, you don't ever relax yeah. because especially when you're one and eight, you're like, <laughs> yeah. what else can go wrong? You know, that's what that's your thought process is like, OK, this is going too good. Something has to go wrong. And it didn't right there. I mean, that, and that was a big play by Pope. I think when did a sack fumble by JT? Yeah.
2: yep.
3: It might have been a uh, yeah, sack fumble by JT. And for Pope, who was a young player himself, scoop and score, and, yeah, we could find a way to get that win.
2: And then you get the long plane ride back home, probably five or four and a half hours or so. I I always love asking the question about plane rides home. And this one, obviously, you know, you didn't clinch a playoff spot or anything like that. You just got your second win of the season, but it had to be a fun one, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like plane rides, you're just having fun. It's even more fun when you get a win, though. You know, (laughs) And, and I think that was the biggest thing. And it was a long flight. We're tired and everybody, you know, we've been out there a week, haven't seen our families. But, I mean, you want to talk about a fun trip because, you know, you get the ball for Coach Bates and everything. And like I said, Candlestick is a just a blank hole. It was awful. Raggedy feel, raggedy locker room. But you could feel when you're in there all the historic San Francisco games versus Dallas and Joe Montana and Clark and all these things. You could feel those things while you're in there. But we were so happy to get the hell out of San Francisco. (laughs) I love San Francisco as a city. But I, I mean, we were so ready to get the hell out of there and, and get back to Miami.
2: Well, you certainly know a thing or two about multi-purpose fields playing at pro player there for so long. And Oh, it, my God. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> the renovations they've made now, it's, it's incredible. Hard Rock is a freaking, Hard Rock Stadium is a freaking palace now. It's its incredible now. But I do want to finish up this podcast. You talked about Jim Bates a little bit. We talked about the Monday night, that night that Courage wore orange, as it was called. Just talk to us about that game briefly here for us, Randy.
3: First of all, we were like, we're we're we're, what? Oh, no, they got these orange jerseys for you. Oh, cool. (laughs) You know, and it was, you know, we knew our season was over. We knew that, you know, and we knew the Patriots, who they were. And we knew all about that and everything. And we knew we probably had no chance to win that football game. Well, I mean, it was a magical night. And I, don't, I know the, the stadium was not full, but you couldn't tell us that stadium was not jam packed with Dolphin fans. It was unbelievable, and for us as a team, because that was a complete team victory, for us as a team to go get that win, and for Darius to catch that ball, and for AJ to find the matchup with Troy Brown being the slot receiver yeah. on on on. Um, and it was the same play we caught, I caught the touchdown on against San Francisco. It was trips left nine ninety nine. I run across. I took the safety with me. Darius. Beat Troy off the ball. AJ threw it perfectly, and it was just a great, uh, you know, great feeling. But it wasn't over yet. Tom Brady still had the daggone on ball, but you know, Jason Taylor being the Hall of Famer, he made the play. Brandon Amadejo picks the ball off, and we get the win. And the funniest thing we always talk about, best playing sports in football, is victory formation. Yeah, and so we're a victory, and we're like just yeah. and I never forget Rodney Harrison comes over to say. Y'all still going home. I said, but well, this feels good tonight, though. You know, and that was the funny thing. Yeah, That's exactly what he did. Y'all still go home. I said, well, but this one feels good right here tonight. You couldn't tell us that that wasn't a playoff win for us right there that night. It was a special night. One of my favorite nights uh, ever playing football.
2: Yeah, 24-hour rule, right? You guys get to enjoy it for 24 hours, and you go back oh, yeah. to reality after uh, that.
3: Oh, if you don't think we told South Beach up that night. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a perfect way to end this podcast i think five years with the miami dolphins 283 receptions for over 3,000 yards and 18 scores in the aqua and orange randy thank you so much for your time today man appreciate it my pleasure man yeah take it easy and so there goes randy mcmichael out one door and in the other the hosts of the fish tank podcast who gets it first this week guys seth juice who wants it first
1: I'm gonna, I I'm gonna take it first. I'm gonna take it first. Especially talking about my man Randy McMichael, man. You know, that's my that's my guy. That was the best player to ever wear 81 after myself, of course. Um
2: <laughs> that's big praise. But it's so
1: funny about that, Travis, because it took a little while for Joey and Charlie in the equipment room to give that number away to anybody, right? After I was after I was done playing. And so it was uh I got a phone call from from the equipment room after I was already retired, sitting at home, you know, still <laughs> crying about being retired you know, being kicked off the field. And they said, Juice, we got to give your number away. I'm like, for real? Like, I was upset. They said, but but this guy is worthy. This guy is worthy. He's good. He's going to represent it well. And, of course, that became Randy McMichael and then Boy, did he! He represented very well.
2: And then he he wound up in that. That
0: was a hard that, call for them to make, right? It I was. He know, you call, I don't call Juice. You call Juice. I guarantee you that yeah. was coin huge. toss,
2: right? Well, and then Randy wound up, and I think you guys covered this on the on the episode. He was on the fish tank. He wound up in that Sports Illustrated photos of the was it the century? Or, or, I mean, that was yeah. that was the craziest image I'd ever seen.
1: Yeah, the leap, the Superman. That was a hell of a. You know what's so funny is uh, people say, Juice, man, that picture of you is awesome. <laughs> I don't even, all they see is like, they don't even see the hardly the back. I said, I wish that was me, man. <laughs>
0: you get that one, Juice, and the one where he was dancing with the cheerleaders? That's I get, right. That, that's that, right. Use that gif all the time. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome, but that's not Juice. That's not Juice.
2: <laughs> That's too good. Well, the reason we had a mom was to talk about a game in 04, and Seth, you mentioned that you know a couple of couple of bad football teams. It was the Dolphins' second win of that season. They were on a West Coast swing, and and Randy talked about you know you go out there for the the double dip on the West Coast, and you stay out there for the whole week. And he he believed that was kind of a. I don't want to say bonding moment for that team because they still didn't, they won four games, but he said that that was kind of a turning moment. And the reason he thinks they won that game is that, I mean, do you recognize that when you go out on those West coast trips and spend a bunch of time with the team and kind of get that time together?
0: Well, we didn't, I don't think we ever did that juice when I, I mean, the eight years that I was there, I, you know, I don't think Jimmy, Jimmy definitely didn't do that. And and I don't remember Dave doing that unless it was for uh you know, training camp or preseason. So we never had a- anything like that. You know, you would go and you'd get on that plane and come back, but I could totally see where a team when things aren't going right, anything that just breaks that monotony of losing and not feeling really good about yourself. Uh, I remember you know, the year that they went to London, was that, was that in, when they went one in 15, was that yeah. a London trip as well? I and I so, think that yeah. that was another moment where a lot of teams hate that interrupt, that disturbance, that interruption in, in their normal routine because everything is so regimented in football more than any other sport. But, but you need an interruption when, when you're a one in nine team, when you're an O oh in whatever team, I think that sometimes, you know, for those teams, for the, that group of guys that I could absolutely see where that would be beneficial. And that would get guys to maybe just relax, maybe get out of South Florida and not have to be scared to go to Publix or not want to go to the movies because <laughs> they don't right. want to be recognized and, and be, you know, asked when you're going to win a game. So I absolutely could see that. And I, I can imagine, Juice, right? You're one in nine. They're one in nine somebody's going to have to lose that game and you don't want to be on that because then you're really, you know, now you're, you're learning about yourself if you can't beat the 1-9 and nine team and you know exactly who you are. So I think that that's why it that was probably a big one for those guys.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, you know, guys need to spend time together. You know, South Florida is a tough place where, you know, when you guys come to work and when work's over, they all go different ways. And they don't get to spend that time together. I think once you get to know somebody off the field a little bit more, I think you uh, you go to battle better for them on the field. Now, when you go on those trips and you guys are going to eat together, you might go to a movie together, you might do stuff that you wouldn't do at home. You know, it does it does bond you a little bit. But obviously, when you get back home, things get back to the, <laughs> the normal way of doing things. And you know what I mean. So, so wish it would carry over a little bit more. Look at some of these other cities, like a you know we talked about it before, like a Green Bay or somewhere there's not much else to do. So guys spend a lot of time together. They spend a lot of time working together. They spend a lot of time maybe going out to dinner together and the results come out out on the field that way. You know, here, I just hate to say it, Chavis, way too much to do.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, way way too much to do, but you also come back to the same problems, right? Like you said, you're one and nine that doesn't, it's like, it's like your credit, man. It follows you around the grid. So you can't get away from it. But you also mentioned going to battle with guys and, and one of the big topics we talked about with Randy was one guy that didn't want to go to battle on that West Coast trip, and I made a joke to him, and I said, "Is the reason that Wanstead resigned before that West Coast swing because he just didn't want to go out there?" <laughs> and he he, <laughs> he thought maybe there was other motives involved, but he you know he he wasn't a fan of Wanstead's decision to hang it up in season. He he believed right. that was a a quitter's mentality. Seth, can you weigh in on that? What do you think about? The decision to, to call it quits in 04, I mean, that was a tough year for this team, you know, obviously wants to relied on Ricky Williams and he calls it a career the day before training camp. We won't get into that again on you, Seth. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> well documented.
2: So, well documented. Uh, but, but I mean, what, what was the, what's, what's it like in season for, for a coach to kind of bail like that? And the guys just to be left to their own devices almost
0: you know, again, I never experienced that. I actually, um, that was the first season where I had left and taken the job, uh, with Jason to run the foundation. I was still very close. Just again, working with Jason was almost like not leaving in a lot of ways. And, and particularly that first year, I I remained really close with everybody there. And, um, uh, maybe because they hadn't heard the Ricky story so at that point I was I was getting the, uh, <laughs> getting the <record. laughs> uh, but I worked all the games I helped um, the PR staff transition Mike pahannock who is now with Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a great PR man but he had he had, uh, was an intern who then elevated to, to my position and um, had the split press box format then and so I worked I still worked all of the games in that press box. and so I, I was close and around the team. Uh, the one thing I do remember, and, and you know, Jason was, um, he was disappointed by Ricky's decision and he loved Dave. He really did. Uh, he was very loyal to Dave. Um, and I remember him, he was asked about it and he said, Dave didn't quit. He resigned. Ricky quit and there's a difference. So, you know, I think that was his perspective then. Uh, but then he also became very loyal to Jim Bates later <laughs> in that year. And, and there's also, there's a, a great I don't know if it was a pregame or postgame interview with JT and they asked him about Nick Saban, you know, the rumors swirling about Nick Saban coming to town. And he says, I don't give a damn about Nick Saban. Jim Bates is my head coach. And then who became Nick's best friend. So I don't know how much credibility you got to put in all of that. But but I can imagine where that would be tough, Juice. I don't know. You clearly never had to deal with that either. Um, uh, But at some point, you know, sometimes, again, this whole idea of fresh start, uh, and, and I think that when Coach Bates did get in, we did see a, a difference in the team's performance. Well, you know,
1: the thing about it, though, Seth, is, you you got a coach that's been riding you all, all training camp most of the season, you know, about hanging in there, being tough, you know, uh, you know not letting your teammates down, and then you, you have something like that happen. You know, so I mean, what is that? What do you, what were you preaching to us about? If that's how you're going to handle anything, you know, most coaches don't resign; they wait to get fired. You know, do yeah. keep doing your job until the, the, you know, your owner says it's time for you to go. You don't sure. just, you know, up and, and leave like that, man. So yeah, that's, a, that's it's gotta be frustrating on players when you sit there and you're, you know, they're going through all this, uh, all these mental toughness things that they go through. Uh, how they're telling you, you got to fight through this injury or fight through this. You know, whatever's going on at home and then they up and, and they can bail out and coaches have no uh, there, there's there's no punishment for coaches shutting it down like that. You know, so
0: do you think that that could be a rallying point juice for guys? I mean, because, uh, you know, what I wonder and, and I don't know, I have no idea in fairness to Dave, he might have been asked to resign. Right. I mean, we don't know how that went down, but do, does that uh, what you what you're expressing is there perhaps that sentiment could go through the locker room and maybe even bring guys closer together and rally, and not that they became world beaters, but what they go three and four, I think at that yeah, point, Travis. Yeah. And so, you know, do you think that maybe that bonding will help we, all we got is each other and let's rally behind Jim Bates, That that could work in their favor.
1: Yeah, I, I believe so. You know, I've, I've, I mean, I've had a coach, you know, I think a, they asked coach Shula to resign at one point, I believe. You know, I'm not sure that's, that's accurate, but you know, there's some rumblings about that. But he said, "No, you got to fire me." I know they asked Joe Paterno a couple times to resign. He said, "No, you got to fire me," you know. And uh, so that's, and that's what they did. They were looking for a reason to fire him. They found a pretty good one, obviously. But I'm gonna tell you, man. These guys, most of these coaches, man, they're they're in it until the end, man, because they know that what they what they put their players through, and and they know what it means for those guys. Um, you know, to have their their head man fight it out with them, even when times are rough. Nobody really gets fired when their team is, you know, seven and one, do they? You know, what I mean, ten and two. You know, it's always always when it's a tough time. So when the you know when the you know the tough times come, you hate for see a guy bail out like that. But it does bond the other guys because what else you have? And Bates, that guy, it looked like he was a guy that you know that did bring the team together. You know, they did play hard for him. You know, and that was a different story. I'm upset when the guys don't play hard for whoever the head man is. But if you don't have a guy that's got you going, got you motivated, got you inspired, you know, coaches, you know, we've heard so many amazing speeches, man. You just don't know what what it takes to get guys going. When you got a coach, most of the time the talent's there. You just have to have a guy to put you in a position to be successful and somebody that's that's inspirational. And if that's not the case, then you got to move on.
2: If I'm not mistaken, Marty Schottenheimer got fired after a 14-2 and season because he lost in the divisional round. So – yeah, pretty rare that it happens, but it has happened before. There had to be something else
1: going on there challenge so I don't know, man.
2: no, got... <laughs> uh, I guess the stacking up playoff losses gets old at a certain point, I suppose. But uh hey, I'll take 14-2 any day of the week, man. <laughs> but um so, you know, Randy talked about this game a little bit and talked about um, you know, we got into the, talk, the talking about Jim Bates and and how you, you know, you mentioned Jason Taylor was a big fan of Jim Bates and that seemed to be the entire locker room having that belief and And that was kind of where the podcast turned because like you mentioned, Seth, not a lot of history with this team. We played a Super Bowl against this team, but we're not going to bring that back up. Um, But let's go ahead and talk about maybe next week we have an AFC opponent on the docket. So we have some, some history with them. And I know, Juice, you've played some games against the Denver Broncos for sure. But how about what's coming up this week and what's in the can? I know you guys just had Keith Jackson and the Todd Wade episode as well. What else is coming up here next on the Fish Tank Podcast next week?
0: Really had a, a great run. Todd was amazing, and then Keith Jackson, uh, one of oh, uh, one of OJ's favorite teammates, yeah. Yeah. one of my favorite players to watch. And Keith was just so much fun to have in the tank. It's some great stories. Incredibly bright guy. And for me, Juice, and you know, you lived it. You got to experience it, and I guess learn from it at that stage of your career. But the stories of Keith coming over to the sidelines telling Gary Stevens and Danny what he saw and what he thinks should be run, whether it was to him or to somebody else. And, and the way he would break down the defense like a quarterback or an offensive coordinator, were those were absolutely fascinating stories to me.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. And and free agency, we talk about it a lot now. You know, Keith, Keith's take on free agency that we got. But the first true free agent, really, in the NFL, as he, as he fought it out in the court system to be released from the uh, Philadelphia Eagles to get an opportunity to play where he wanted to play, and missing the first four games of the season, you know, while he waited for a court decision to get down here to Miami, man, it was uh, that was awesome stuff as well.
0: Yeah. He said he learned the whole playbook in five days. He five said days. by the end of the week, like, is that real? Is How that much believable? Is he is he <laughs> fooling us here.
1: Yeah. Right. I don't know. That was tough. It took me a year and a half. So I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it worked out for you. Juice. We, we talk about, you know, the, the 81 Jersey and Randy McMichael and stuff. Hey, Every day I walk in this building, the first jersey I see is O.J. McDuffie catching a pass in that eighty-one jersey. So, we, it's you know, it's
1: in a, it's in a strategic place, Travis. <laughs> I, I've seen where it's at. You know, he's right, walking right by those stairs, or going in that room. <laughs> Who did you have to grease spot. to
0: get that location, Juice? He had he had the best locker location, Travis, <laughs> when he played there, and now he's got the best. Photo location in the
1: lobby. That's right. You got to go you right at it, Seth. So. So the other one's going right? up the
0: stairs. You go. You'll see them in your periphery, but mine, you, got to
1: go right at it first.
2: Right? it. I'm I'm waiting to see to walk in one of these days and see Juice like uh, you know, uh, um, installing like one of those lights above it. So that's like got the light on, the proper lighting and the proper cleaning and stuff on it. So you know it. You
0: know it. <laughs> they are
2: uh, OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitt, the hosts of the Fish Tank Podcast. Boys, I really appreciate your time today. We'll do it again next week.
0: Thanks, appreciate Travis. Oh, it's good to be here, man.
2: And away they go, Seth and Juice, the Fish Tank podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network. You can also find the Audible and the Drive Time podcast on MiamiDolphins.com, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave all the shows a rating, all the shows a review on your Apple Podcast app. Give me a follow on Twitter; it's at NFL. You can follow the Fish Tank at Fish Tank Eight, the Fish Tank Eighty-One on Twitter. You can follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Of course, check out MiamiDolphins.com as well. Until Sunday night for the recap podcast, that's going to be my time. Time, fins up.